0: scar joe suing today we discuss why the black widow star is suing disney and why it's important this is scott's self-indulgent movie podcast Movie friends, welcome to Scott's self-indulgent movie podcast. I am Scott, and today we are talking about the recent lawsuit. Uh, lost law Oh no, lawsuit brought up by Scarlett Johansson against Disney. And I thought this actually touched on some things that I was surprised haven't gotten become come to light earlier. So yeah, and my general consensus is that <laughs> this is a situation that, despite Scarlett Johansson being you know a very wealthy individual who's probably made a ton of money off of you know Disney and Marvel historically. uh uh, you should generally side with workers over (laughs) workers over large companies especially in circumstances like this because uh, I saw I looked over the basic brief and basis of her lawsuit and it made sense to me so today I'm going to discuss why and why it has uh, big implications moving forward for people in movies and who produce movies so let's get started. Despite a hot streak of popular movies and series, Disney ran into a PR nightmare when longtime Black Widow star Scarlett Johansson sued the studio over the distribution of Black Widow, specifically allowing the film to be streamed for an extra charge on Disney Plus at the same time it was released in theaters. My first reaction was, good for her. She's not on track to make any more movies for Disney, and she's got the weight via fame and money to fight this thing for future actors. So much so that a number of other actors have started to follow suit. But getting into why this is a good idea and why it matters for movies moving forward, we're gonna have to get into the nitty-gritty of contracts. Yay? I know it sounds super boring, but this is a perfect case study in why big-name actors like ScarJo are rightfully pissed and why I think you should be in their corner. So let's start with what's in a contract. A lot of people are familiar with the big base salaries big name actors get. This was a highly publicized item in the 90s when certain actors like Jim Carrey or Jennifer Lopez would make history for being the first blank person to make a million dollars for a single film or more. As you'd expect, the contracts for big-name actors get bigger and more elaborate depending on what the movie entails, what kind of movie it is, and the perceived star power of the actor in question. For instance, there are rumors that Halle Berry was paid an extra half million for her nude scene in Swordfish. That's how specific these contracts can get. The demands in each contract can get really weird, but it mostly comes down to how each actor is going to make their money for the film. And the Screen Actors Guild has one bigger moneymaker sorted out, Residuals. Residuals is essentially how actors keep making money for films or shows that are constantly shown on broadcast television via rerun or streaming rights. It's why the Friends cast, for all intents and purposes, doesn't need to work another day in their life. That show is perpetually making money for the network and the actors. But movies are trickier, since they make a lot of money up front at the box office. So let's get into gross percentages. A gross percentage is a solution in a perfect world that is good for actors and movie makers. In layman's terms, it means the actor receives a percentage of the profits from the movie's box office haul. If you have a 1% stake on a movie that makes $100 million in profits, you make $1 million. And this is a good deal for all kinds of movies. For instance, if you're an independent filmmaker with a limited budget and you can get a big-name actor interested, you can offer them a percentage of the movie's gross at the box office. That way, if the film is a hit, the actor has been fairly compensated for the use of their talents in time, especially if they're a bigger name. This goes double if they also serve as an, as, as an executive producer. This will be important later. Likewise, big-budget movies are always in danger of running their already sky-high budgets even higher. It's hard to figure it out exactly, but a good chunk of the money used to make an Avengers movie goes to the cast, and in particular, Robert Downey Jr.'s salary. And considering that this is their bit, there is a bit of a ceiling with how much money a movie can make at the box office, both domestically and internationally, a percentage of the gross is very enticing for big name actors. Avengers movies make around a billion every time, and the percentage means the studio keeps upfront costs a touch lower, and can spend it on things like effects and sets, and the actors can revel in the film's success. So everything is hunky-dory, right? Well, not really. Because now we're getting to cooking the books. Ever since actors started sharing the wealth, studios, their lawyers, and their accountants have done their very best to make very successful films unsuccessful at least on paper. I'm not going to use a specific movie, since that would indicate some kind of bias, but let's take a big-budget comic book movie, an imagined one. It's the fifth one in the franchise, and the lead actors have been getting more and more money as their star power increases. Now it's the finale, and everyone wants their biggest payday. So much so that your two main leads want 5% of the domestic gross. The studio agrees, because they can't really change heroes or change horses in the middle of this race. When the movie comes out, it makes over $400 at the box office, and yet, nothing goes to the two leads. And when you look at the books for this movie, it adds up? Because the studio included distribution, film prints, all of the outfits for the press junkets, cast flights, cast hotels, international distribution, every ad imaginable, and so on and so on. So much so that it cancels out the domestic gross. What about the international gross? Don't movies make more overseas? Well, the contract didn't include that, did it? This is an exaggeration, but it's a very easy system to game. And owning a streaming service and having contracts that didn't include streaming may as well be the Wild West. So let's talk about unregulated new mediums. I was in college during the Writers Guild of America strike, a moment when every screenwriter for television and film who could were on strike. If you vaguely remember a period of time where Stephen Colbert and Jon Stewart were writing the entire show themselves and getting into fake feuds with Conan, yep, that's it. If you ever wondered why the script for the second Transformers movie was janky as hell, well jankier than usual, that's why. So what was the strike over in the first place? Ad revenue. Specifically, online ad revenue. See, this was the advent of streaming shows and movies online, and this comparatively untouched medium didn't have a profit-share model worked out. Specifically, no money going to writers. And they were rightfully pissed, because how were they supposed to benefit from a new medium when their contracts were created without this in mind? It looked like a loophole that studios were exploiting to make more money when they didn't have to share it. Which brings us to ScarJo. While I haven't read the br- full brief, the case Scarlett Johansson's camp is making is pretty clear. She believes Disney cheated her out of a lot of money by releasing Black Widow on Disney+. Plus. How? You might ask. Because her contracts, likely both as an actor and executive producer, included a gross percentage, which now has a massive chunk taken out, more than would have already been taken out due to tinkering and COVID, because, because much of the audience wasn't seeing it in theaters probably because her contracts did not include profit sharing for online purchases or rentals that would occur while the movie was in theaters. And since this is a civil case, I think the argument is going to be more straightforward. By either not adapting her contracts or compensating her accordingly, Disney took advantage to make more money that would keep they would keep via a distribution channel they own. I know there's an ugly instinct for people to sh- to side with regular workers like writers we don't know, or, or a smaller up-and-coming actor. But this could set an important precedent in legal cases moving forward, and ensure that movie, movies and studios change their distribution model midstream can't make changes solely for their benefit. So, yeah, go fucking get them, ScarJo. This could help a lot of actors moving forward, just like Negotiation for Residuals did decades ago. She's perfectly positioned to take this on, and personally. I hope she wins. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time, everybody. Stay safe.